And if you are staying in here this morning, we are going to continue looking through the book of Acts. So if you will turn to Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So we are kind of picking up again very close to where we we stopped last time. So we've been going through the book of Acts, how the Holy Spirit's ascended, the apostles are, are preaching the gospel, people are coming to salvation. There's this community that's happening, happening in the church. They continue to preach in the name of Jesus, and all of a sudden they get taken and they're put before uh, the, the religious leaders. They are being questioned. They're being commissioned not to preach in the name of Jesus. So last week we looked at how they went from that to uh, pray with one another, to be with their people, to pray, to seek the Lord in prayer, so they might continue to speak boldly. And so after that, we see how the Bible again reiterates this community that they had there, how they were holding all things in common. People were selling their property, giving to people that had needs. They were bringing, selling their property, selling their houses, laying it at the apostles' feet, and it was being distributed as those had need. And we see the last one that kind of is mentioned is Barnabas, uh, which Joseph was his name, who was called Barnabas, um, which means son of encouragement, owned a field, brought it, laid at the apostles' feet, sold the field, laid the money at the apostles' feet. And so that, after that is where we're picking up. Um, and so as I was called to ministry, one of the things I tried to do was really get into Bible study. So I was about 14 or 15 at the time. And one of the things I did is like, I want to read Acts. I want to go through it. And I want to take a lot of notes. And, and so I can look back and see what I've learned and all these sorts of things. And I got to chapter 5. And I read verses 1 through 11, and I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. And so I don't know if you've read this passage before. I don't know if it's been a passage that's confused you as it confused me at that time. Um, but what we're going to see a lot about here is the idea of pride. We're going to see two individuals who were selfishly prideful, and that was the issue at hand. And at, at first glance, if you read it and you're not really, as you, if you're kind of like I was, it might be a little confusing, but we're going to get into it and see what we can learn from this this morning. So again, remember, as we start reading, the apostles are, or the people, the disciples are, are selling their possessions, laying at the apostles' feet, and we're picking up right after that, okay? Starting in verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with his, worth, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and bought, brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. To tell me, Peter asked her, did you, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at, the, at his feet. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and on all who heard these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day you've given us, this time that we can come together, we can look at your word, and we can see the example of those who made some poor decisions. And God, I pray that this example that we see can help us to see how you would call us to live, how you would call us to follow you, to be obedient to you, and what that means in our life. God, I pray that you'd be with us this morning, that you would convict each of us in our heart. 
that you would call us to serve you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what we see here, when I, when I first read this, I was like, hold on a second. Because these people sold this land and didn't want to give all the money away, they, they dropped dead. That was my initial reading of this when I was younger. That these people brought, they had this land, they sold it, and then they gave the money to the, part of the money, but they didn't want to give it all away, and so they kept some of it. I was like, what if they needed that money? Is that, were they really punished for not giving everything they had? That's not what happened here. So this situation, everybody is selling what they have, bringing it, laying it down. No doubt, imagine if that happened in this church. We knew of some needs in our church, and people were like, you know what, I've got this property, I don't use it, I'm going to sell it. Here's all the money from it. Let's give it to people. Let's love one another. I think we'd be a little excited about that. We'd be a little bit excited, and we would be like, man, this is awesome. God is moving. That is so great that these people are, are serving and loving God. And it would be a testimony of God's movement among us. But what happened here, I think, is Ananias and Sapphira, they're like, oh, man, these people are, are, are giving everything they got, and we've got this land that we don't really, we, can, we, can, we could spare it, but it sure would be nice to have that money. But I don't know if I want to do this. Well, let's just do part of it. Well, then people won't look at us. Say, look at the Joneses. They gave everything. The Smiths, they gave everything. Barnabas, he's a son of encouragement. He gave all his money. Well, let's say we sold it for the price we give. And we'll just keep some back on the side. Nobody has to know. The problem at hand was not that they didn't give everything they had. It was that they acted like they gave everything they had. They said, well, we sold this land for $10,000. They keep back 20. They keep back extra. They're lying, as he said, not to people, but to God. So some th there's some things we can learn from this as we go through this passage. That we see the selfish pride they exhibited, but we're going to look at what we can learn. And the, the thing that we learn as we see this is that God loves cheerful givers. You've heard this. You've seen this in the passage. We talked uh, not too long ago about giving, and he loves cheerful givers. The church was willingly and joyfully giving to God. The reality is that when we live our life as Christians, the hard part about it is there are things that we ought to do that we don't have to do. Does that make sense? I, like chores that you have at your home, right? You don't like to do the dishes, but you have to do the dishes if you want to have a clean house, right? You don't want to do them, but you have to do them. It's, it's a little bit the opposite in, in our faith, is that we need to want to do things, and we should do those things, but that does not accomplish our salvation. It does not affect God's love for us. Remember, God is the one who initiated his love for us. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. He gives it freely to us, and it's steadfast. And so these people were not cheerful in their giving. They had the capacity to give, as many of us do. They had the capacity to give probably even beyond what they gave, as many of us do, but they didn't want to. Their heart was not cheerful and joyful about what they were going to give. Now, here's what we have to understand. We should be cheerful and joyful in how we give, but the manner in which we give is in many ways more important than what we give. They were not cheerful. Ananias and Sapphira were not cheerful in their giving. They likely gave out of peer pressure. I want you to imagine everyone starts giving everything they have away, 
and they are Christians, and, and everyone is celebrating and joyful about that. And then you look at your life, and you're like, well, maybe I need to do something like that. If I want to be a good Christian, I have to do it. The have to is not the want to. They were not joyful. Likely, they gave out of peer pressure. They gave to be like others, to do what others were doing, to fit in. They also gave, likely, so that others would look at them in a good way. They would look at them with joy. They would look at them as people that, oh, do you see what they gave? It reminds me of the example that Jesus gave of the two people that brought their offerings. The Pharisee who gave their offerings to people, before people, so that everyone would know what had happened. And Jesus says, I I tell you the truth, he's received his reward in full. And then you see the one who brings everything they have and gives it away. It's only a small amount. But it was held in greater regard than the one who brought a larger sum, but did it with selfish ambitions. And so here's what we can learn here. We should give to God. 2 Corinthians 9 7 says this, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Our giving should be joyful and without compulsion. But I want to explain something very clearly here. There's a difference between compulsion and conviction. There will be times in our life where we are convicted and feel a a level of pressure that we ought to do something. And that is not the same thing as compulsion. God convicts our hearts so that our hearts will change. Compulsion is where you do in spite of the heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are things that you don't want to do. It is against what you desire. It is a a negative thing, but you have to do it. That is compulsion. If you don't do this, you'll be fired. Compulsion. Conviction is realizing the necessity of what needs to be done and having a change of heart. When you realize that if you do this thing, there will be a benefit to you and to others, well, I would like to do that. It's like when you're raising your children, they don't want to share. And then you realize, well, they would really like to play with this too. Would it be that hard to share for a few minutes and then you'll get it back? Oh, that would be okay. The conviction leads to a change of heart compulsion is the forcing of it. And so when I say that we should give as, as, as our heart, uh, whatever we've decided in our heart, we've got to make sure our heart is seeking after Christ in that. That we aren't being hardened of heart and, and being selfish in what we've decided in our heart. We allow our heart to be changed, but we don't give reluctantly. We don't give out of compulsion. We give in the way that God has discipled us to the level at which he has discipled and redeemed us. Since God loves a cheerful giver. Another thing, our giving should not be based upon what other people do. If you find out the person sitting next to you is giving three times what you give, that should not affect what you're giving. Unless it's a conviction that you realize you are not giving what you ought to. Our giving should be from a pure heart and love for God and not with selfish motives. The amount that we give to church means nothing. It is our devotion and love for God. And we express that through how we give, how we serve, how we act. But if if someone starts giving more money, that's not going to affect their salvation. It's not going to affect God's love for them. It's not going to affect 
It shouldn't affect how much influence they have within the church. It's about loving God. It should be from a pure heart and love for God, not with selfish motives. I want you to imagine that someone wants to get something done in the church and they're like, well, if you won't do this, I won't give my money. That shows the problem. It's not your money. It's God's money. And even when, and with the, the prosperity gospel, and, and I think that it has bled beyond just the prosperity teaching area, that there are problems with how people view giving to God. Some people even give to God with the intention of giving to God, not for the praise of people, but they give it to receive. Right? Have you heard those people that sometimes come on TV, if you'll sow your seed of $100, God will bring back 10 times that. Giving to God is not with the expectation of receiving in return. Not one of these disciples gave away their 100-acre farm so they would get a 1,000-acre farm. It's not how that works. That's not what they were doing. They were giving and loving God because that was something that was within their heart. It was a cheerful thing to do in service of God in the kingdom. And so right now, this is directly applying to money and to possessions because that is what is happening in this passage. But I want you to realize that these things apply beyond just your money and your possessions. Our time and our ability should be freely and cheerfully given to God not out of compulsion and not out of, uh, of, of pressuring of others, but should be given to God. But it should be done for the right reasons. If a person is constantly doing and being uh, working hard simply because they want people to, to view them in the right way, or they want people to think that they're a hard worker, look how much they do for God, those things are not the right reasons to serve. The hard part of this is that all Christians should be doing, likely, more than they're doing in a way. But it comes from an increased love and desire to give more to God rather than compulsion or, or duty or obligation. It comes from a love from God, love for God leads to cheerfully giving. It was no doubt hard for these people. If you'd asked them before they met Christ, do you want to sell all your land and give it away to the poor? No. Are you crazy? But they encounter Christ. They experience his love for them. And then out of that love and this commitment to God, cheerfully they give it all away because he gave everything to them. And so as we grow in our faith, as we grow in this commitment to God, it's not an obligation or a difficulty to interrupt our day to help someone. It's not an obligation or a difficulty to go and to serve others in one way or another. It's not an obligation or a difficulty to give back the money that God has already blessed us with because we know what he's given to us can never be repaid. And we aren't trying to repay it. We're freely giving our time, our abilities, our money in a cheerful way to God. And what I want to say this morning is that if you realize that where you are in that is not where you think you ought to be, the answer is not to feel guilty about it. The answer is not to just give it anyway, to do it anyway. The answer is to allow God to change and transform your heart. Because there are things in the Bible that God calls us to do that are impossible for us to do on our, on our own. You know, one of the things God commands us to do is to forgive others as we've been forgiven. I tell you what, there are people in this world that have experienced things that without God's love, without God's grace and mercy, there's no way they'll ever forgive the people that have wronged them. 
It's only by God's grace and mercy they're able to have forgiveness in those circumstances. And in the same way, when people are exceptionally generous, it's not because they're just such a great person. It's because they've experienced a great God. And so if we want to become cheerful givers of our time, money, resources, abilities, the answer is not to do more, to try harder, to suck it up and do it anyway. The answer is to have a greater love for God. The answer is to desire God more than the things we're sacrificing. Because when we do that, those things feel less like a sacrifice in the way that hurts us. They feel like a sacrifice in a way that honors God. Because that's what we have to remind ourselves. Our gifts are for God and not the approval of others. Our gifts are for God and not the approval of others. Again, the issue is not that they didn't give the full amount of the sale of the land. It's that they lied about it. So they pretended to have done something they didn't do so that people would look at them and think well of them. They acted like they gave it all and withheld some for themselves. And I want you to understand, this is probably not a trivial amount. It's not like they said, did you sell this for $10,000 and you only gave $9,995? Well, yeah, we, we stopped and got some food on the way here. I hope that was okay. It's not like, I don't think that's the situation here. I think we're talking about a, a quite a large deception that has happened because they want to take a lot of credit for what's been done, but still profit themselves in a selfish way. And this shows that their motivations were off. Our heart is of primary importance when, we relate, when it relates to God. You've all heard the saying, when we give a gift, it's the thought that counts. Right? Have you ever heard that saying? It's the thought that counts. What are we saying when we say that? The heart behind the gift matters more than the gift itself. It's the, the parent or grandparent that keeps a gift of something they've been given that's of much less value than other things they may have had in that way. Maybe you, you are, are a watch collector and your child gets you a watch and it's not really as nice as the other ones in your collection, but it's your favorite. Why? Because the heart of the one who gave it to you is what is so significant rather than the possession itself. And so it's the same way when we, at Christmas time when we get a gift. And it's not exactly what we want, but we know that person cared. It was their love and commitment that is expressed in that gift. It's what matters. And so it's the same thing we see, again, remembering this example. A large sum brought by a prideful heart and a small sum brought by a person giving it all out of devotion to God. Which one matters more to God? Here's what I want you to, to ask. What is it that God lacks that we can provide? Is God lacking of all of our possessions? Is God lacking of all of our money? If, if, if only we would bring all of our money, would God be then in a better position than he was before? No. God is lacking for nothing. He is self-sufficient. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need us. We give to him as an act of love and obedience. We're giving out of love and obedience. So what does God desire from us? Romans 12, 1, I think explains it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And so what we do and what we're called to do in this life is to give the very being of ourselves in service of and to God. And so at times that means 
financially. At times that means with our time, with our energy, our resources, our abilities. We give to God because we are his. He paid the price. He has made a way for us to be saved. And out of recognition for that, we freely love and give to him because we're giving to God and not for the approval to others. We give ourselves as worship to God and in turn, all the things that we own. They wanted to give without the sacrifice. They wanted to give to God, but it wasn't really for God. It was so that people would view them in a better way. Their perspective and understanding of what they were doing was completely off. They thought that God desired that they sell this in order to give to them, but, but they really didn't want to do that, so they kept some of it back. Their heart was completely off. They weren't viewing this as a way of worshiping and serving God. It was a way of advancing their position while maybe doing a good thing on the side. It's like if you were to go to the, the store, and now just about every store will ask you, do you want to round up to the nearest dollar for this charity? I, I sure hope if you do that, you don't feel some great sense of, of, uh, that you're a philanthropist. You know, I think it was yesterday, it was maybe 11 cents I rounded up somewhere. Well, look at me, look at how good I am as I spent $35 doing whatever. And that 11 cents I gave sure was good, wasn't it? No, it's not about that. It's not about how much we give. It's about whether we're serving God correctly. Are you seeking to serve God in what you're doing? Are you seeking the approval of others? Or even to earn God's favor. That's another aspect that's wrong. Because in the end, God values authenticity. God values authenticity. God wants you to be real in your relationship with him. And what he said to them, you weren't lying to people, you were lying to God, is what he says to them. You are not fooling God. In your life, in, in my life, nothing that we do, no, no matter how well we may do, no matter whether these people would have ever found that out, outside of God's revelation of it or however they knew, we don't fool God. If you do something with wrong motives and no one ever else knows about it, you're not going to fool God. God values authenticity. Pleasing God is about the heart of your giving and service not as much the content of it. You cannot shortchange God. If, you, if God knows you want to do something, you cannot do it. If, God, if you know God wants you to do something, you cannot do less than that with all your heart. So here's what I mean by that. God cares about the heart primarily. But if you've developed in your relationship with God to a point where you know what he wants you to do, and you don't do it, you can't do that lesser thing with all your heart. I'll give you an explanation from my life. There have been times in ministry that are hard. Prior to coming here, there was a point in my life several, several years ago where I said, I don't know if ministry is what I'm supposed to be doing anymore. I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing this anymore because it'd be a lot easier on me, a lot easier on my family if I did something else. Just went and worked a regular job and then served at the church I was at. That would be a simpler life. And thankfully, I had someone in my life that, that spoke truth to me. Are you called to ministry or not? And so in my life, it would be wrong for me to take the lesser route of what I know he's calling me to do. And I can't do that with all my heart. 
because I know what he's called me to do. I know that he wants me to serve him in the capacity that I'm serving him in now. And I'm thankful for that person or else I would have maybe made a decision that was selfish, holding back some of what of myself when I know that God wanted the whole thing. Right? That's not, that has nothing to do with money. That's about my life and my service to him. And, and so in your life, what does that look like? Does it mean, well, I know God desires me to be faithful, to, to serve, to, to spend time with him, but... But I like doing these other things, so I'll just make sure I really, you know, when I, when I do go to church, I'll really focus those times. We can't shortchange him because he knows our hearts. He knows whether we are doing what we know we ought to be doing or not. But here's something I want you to be reminded of. Because God does value authenticity, it's not going to look the same for every single person. We all have been gifted and blessed in various ways and capacities because I want you to notice something in these passages. Not every person was selling their possessions and giving it away. Some of the people were the ones receiving the benefit of the others giving. There are people that were not selling everything they had and giving it away to the poor because they were the poor. They needed the love of God shown through the actions of these people. So I want you to remember that and understand that there were people that were benefiting from the sale of this land. And so in your life, where is God calling you to authentically serve him? It's not going to look the same as it looks for me or the person sitting next to you or even someone that you're related to or married to. What is God calling you to do in your life? Because I'll tell you that, that this generation of people that we want to reach, younger people, if we want to reach them, they highly value authenticity. And I don't say that to mean that other generations do not value it, but if, if we are to dress something up and give it to them, that's not something that they would like. They want what's real rather than a, our best foot forward, if that makes, makes sense. There are people that when you interact with them, they want you to put your best foot forward or else they don't, they don't like the way that you're interacting they want real. And in many ways, I think that's why young people have left the church, that grew up in the church, because they see in people's lives that the faith that they profess is not as authentically lived in their life. And so we have to make sure that if we want to be a witness for Christ, that our life is authentic in how we follow him. Now, being authentic does not mean perfection. Because being authentic recognizes, hey, I, I want to sell this land. I want to help, but I can't give you all of it. We have some bills we got to pay. We can't do it with these other people. That's authentic. It's real. It means coming into to your body of believers saying, I've had a really rough week and I need some help. I've been struggling in this way or that way. I need you to help pray for me, to help guide me along. Rather than saying, everything's going great. God is just blessing me in abundance when really you're struggling. Authenticity is what helps lead to growth. I want you to think of a, of a situation in the Bible where we see someone that is giving everything to themselves because of their, giving everything that they have to God because of their faith in him. One of the first stories we see this in the Bible is the story of Abraham. And Abraham has been blessed by God. In ways, more ways than he can imagine. He, he begins to lead him and, and, and makes these covenants with him. And he delivers people for him. 
and he comes to this place where he's old, and he gives him a child in his old age. And God didn't, he didn't even trust God all the way in that, but God has come through. And he says, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him to me. Well, that's everything he has. But what has Abraham seen in his life up to this point? That God is worth everything he has. And if you read the language of that passage, there's even ways that, that seem to indicate that, a, that Abraham trusted that God was going to provide another way. He says, we will be back. God will provide the sacrifice. Because Isaac starts looking around and says, hey, hey, Dad, where's the, where's the sacrifice? God will provide the sacrifice. But what did Abraham do? He trusted in God. And if we're going to be people who don't live selfishly and pridefully, as we see happen here, we have to trust in God. Because I promise you, these people didn't sell their land and give it all away without believing and knowing that God held their tomorrow. Without believing that if I give this up, this thing that I possess, God is with me. He will provide for me. And it may not look exactly like what I want it to look like, but he will provide for me. And Abraham, as he walks up the mountain, says, I don't, this may not go how I want it to go, but God will provide. He has provided and he will again. And so as you're living your life, as you're serving God with your, with your giving, with money, with, with your time, with your abilities, are you living authentically before God? I am not a perfect person. No one in here is a perfect person. I would never presume to be so. That's when we run into troubles, when we start acting like we all have it together. Are you giving of yourself as a living sacrifice to God, trusting in Him to the full ability you're able to, and seeking to trust Him more? Because the ability you trust Him today, I, I pray that by the end of the year and the end of next year, the end of your life is different and greater in capacity than your ability to trust him now. But with what trust you do have, are you living authentically before God? Seeking him, knowing he will provide, knowing that it's about your heart and not what you do. But be, if your heart is in it, it will result in the things that you do. How would God call you to respond today? To follow him faithfully, to give freely of yourself. And I want to challenge you this morning that, that maybe what you thought following God was was doing a lot of stuff so he'd love you. I don't know if that was what they thought, that if they would give their stuff that God would love them more. God gave everything for you so that you might be saved. Being loved by God does not mean going to church. It does not mean giving your time, your money. It means that, Jesus, that he loved you while you were a sinner. While you were dead in your sins, God made you alive through Christ Jesus by the grace of God so that no one can boast. Have you trusted him for the very first time with your salvation? If you've not done that, I would challenge you to do that today. And if you have, are you authentically living and loving God as you live? Respond how he leads you today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us, this time that we can come together. God, I pray that you would 
just be with us today, that you would, you would bless us, that you would uh, work in our midst. And God, I pray that you would just help us to be obedient to you, to be authentic in how we relate to you, that we wouldn't be pressured, that we wouldn't feel, uh, be under compulsion to do things, but that we would trust you and love you, and that would result in us doing obedient things because of our heart's desire to live for you rather than seeking to please people or any other reasons, Lord. I pray that you'll be with us today, that we would respond how you call us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.